Life is full of highs and lows. Now, now you know this, right? There, there are so many moments throughout our week, throughout our year, throughout our lifetime where we feel the joys that life can bring. And at the same time, there are moments where we experience discouragement and disappointment and the heaviness of our hearts brings us to a low place sometimes to a very, very low place. And this morning, we're going to not think about the high highs, but we're going to think about the lower lows in our life. And we know that the reality of this is often referred to as depression. Some would define depression like this. It's a severe dejection felt over time that can lead to feelings of helplessness or hopelessness. It's a dejection or a severe dejection felt over time that can lead to feelings of helplessness or hopelessness. And as we jump into 1 Kings 19, I'm here to share with you today that there is something deeper than depression. There is something deeper than depression that is available to us through the grace of God. But before we get there, we need to think a little bit more about depression, all right? So, so depression can come on a spectrum. In fact, typically, there, there is somewhere that depressed people feel on a spectrum. So it can range from being emotionally bothered where we're just feeling discouraged. Sometimes we don't even know why, but we're just down and we feel a bit low and we're emotionally bothered all the way to feeling emotionally debilitated. The range can run from feelings of discontentment to feelings of despair. There is situational depression that is often very tied to our circumstances, our temporary circumstances, and then there is depression that lasts for months or even years that we might call and doctors might help us recognize as clinical depression. And, and I, I know that you may be here today and, and, and you might say, well, Pastor Tanner, I don't think I've ever really experienced depression personally. And I would just encourage you to consider that as you experience discouragements in life, there are going to be times if you, if you are, uh, unless you are just some kind of supernatural being that is not affected by your circumstances the fallenness of your own soul and body and even the spiritual warfare that we face. There are so many different causes and, 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 and issues that surround depression and lead to depression. That, that, that surely there are times where you feel discouraged and that discouragement can even spiral down further. But, but if that's not a common thing for you, listen, we understand that for so many it is. For so many it is. The National Institute of Mental Health would tell us that in 2021, 
8.3% of adults were, uh, have ex had experienced major a major depressive episode. And as you think about adolescence, we're talking about kids ages 12 to 17, that number jumps from 8.3% to 20.1%. And what are we talking about with a major depressive episode? They referred to a prolonged depression over at least two weeks characterized by a loss of interest in daily activities and accompanied by multiple symptoms such, such as problems eating, problems sleeping, problems concentrating, and a skewed view of self-worth amongst others. And so depression is one of the epidemics of our age. And we need to pay attention. And we need to understand that, th th yes, our, 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 our spirits and, and our souls are responding to all that's happening around us. But there is so much wrapped up in the reality of depression. It, it's a spiritual issue, but it's not just a spiritual issue. In fact, we see from church history as well as the Bible that great women and men of God have struggled with depression and struggled significantly. We're not talking just situational depression. We're talking about over time, severe, severe depression. And we come to one of these figures in the person of Elijah. Now, Jacob, our church planting resident, shared a word about Elijah a couple of months ago. Perhaps you remember, but let me tell you about Elijah. Elijah was Israel's, probably you could argue, second greatest prophet. In fact, Elijah was so great that at the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, it says that, that Elijah is going to re return and to make way for God, so, so much so that Jews at the Passover meal would leave an empty chair by faith in case Elijah showed up and came back at that point. And why was this? It was because Elijah was a man of God. He was a man of faith. He was full of faith and boldness. He followed the ways of God. He communicated the messages of God in the face of great opposition. The Elijah of 1 Kings 17 would go to evil King Ahab and say, because of the way you are leading these people and allowing them to build these altars, in fact, encouraging them with your wife Jezebel to build these altars to all of these foreign gods and to turn away from the true worship of God and to walk in his ways, God is going to send a drought. And he prophesied a drought and he prayed for this drought to come. And for 42 months, it did not rain in Israel. This is the Elijah we're talking about here. We're talking about the Elijah who when the drought came and food was drying up, that God told him to go to this widow in Zarephath. And she was running out of flour and oil, but, but God through Elijah said, hey, 
You're never going to run out of flour. You're never going to run out of oil. Elijah is doing miracle after miracle. Her son dies, and Elijah raises him back to life. This is the Elijah we're talking about here. We're talking about the Elijah that in 1 Kings 18 creates a confrontation between him and hundreds of prophets of Baal. And he says, hey, why don't you guys set up an altar and I'll set up an altar and you call on your gods and I will call on my God and we will see which God hears. We will see which God truly responds. We'll see which God is living that is real. And the prophets of Baal, they build their altar and they call on the name of their God and they keep calling on the name of their God and they keep calling their name. And I like Elijah because Elijah isn't scared to talk a little junk. He says, hey, where's your God? Maybe your God's too busy for you. Maybe your God doesn't care. He even goes so far to say, hey, maybe your God's like, you know, had to go to the restroom, like he's too busy to help you out here. And then Elijah, before he prays and calls on the name of his God, he actually takes that altar and he covers it with water and covers it with more water and covers it with more water to the point that it is sopping with water. And then he says, God, would you send your fire? And the fire of God falls and consumes the altar. Wow. 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 This is the Elijah. The Elijah that went on top of Mount Carmel and he prayed not once, twice, three times, four, five, or six, but seven times he gets down on his face and he prays that God would send rain from heaven and he sees a cloud. His servant sees a cloud the size of a man's fist and Elijah said, that's my God. My God is sending rain again just as he promised. Elijah was a man full of faith. Elijah was, was, was a, a prophet of God who did amazing, amazing works by the power of God. And yet this Elijah, by the time we get to 1 Kings 18, we find, I mean, 1 Kings 19, we find that he is going to take a nasty turn in a different direction. And so the truth that I want you to hear today, and I hope you will write this down, write it on the, the, the tablet of your heart, the, 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 the paper of your heart is, is this, that the lows of our depression can never move beyond the depths of God's compassion. The lows of our depression can never move beyond the depth of God's compassion. This is what we see all throughout 1 Kings 19. Let's look at the first eight verses together. It says this, King Ahab told Queen Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, here it is, so made the gods, she's pluralistic, polytheistic, she's not putting her faith alone in Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of gods. But she says, so made the gods, all of my gods, do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life 
as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah, you're a dead man. You're dead. Verse 3. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. He asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. When we are low, maybe when you are feeling very low, maybe when you are feeling so low that you don't want to talk about it, you don't want anyone to talk to you, you don't want anyone's help, here's the first thing that you need, and this is the first and greatest thing you need. You need to encounter God's compassion. Encounter God's compassion. This man of faith, full of faith, all of the sudden is full of fear because the evil queen Jezebel says, you killed all of my prophets and now guess what? I am coming after you. I am going to send everyone I can, Elijah, to come and to take you out. And this prophet of God, this man of God, who was once full of faith, is now full of fear. So much so that here it says in verse 3, he arose and ran for his life. In fact, he ran 80 miles to Beersheba to get as far away as he could from Jezebel. And then he didn't stop there, but he went further into the wilderness. And as we see, he can run from Jezebel, and we can hardly blame him, but he could not run away from God's presence. As we get to verse 4, we see the depth of what Elijah is feeling and facing. Look at, look at what it says here. He, he asks the Lord. He makes this a, his prayer. What does he pray? It is enough now. Oh, Lord, take away my life. For I am no better than my fathers. In other words, the people have, have risen up against your prophets and they have put one after the other after the other to the sword. They have taken them out and now this is my plight to God. And so if they're going to take me out, God, why don't, why don't you take me out? I don't have a reason to live any longer. 
This is how low Elijah was feeling in these moments. Perhaps his heart was reflective of Psalm 88 verse 18 that says, darkness is my only companion. Friends, when you're feeling low, you need to understand that the Bible is a real book written by real people that are, under, that are undergoing real suffering. When, when you're down, go to the Psalms and just read one after the other after the other, and you're going to see the myriad of emotions that we all face as human beings. And Elijah here is at his lowest point, so low that he's not, he's not explicitly suicidal, but you could argue that's, that's what he, he he's not going to take his life but he wants God to take his life he had thoughts of no longer living and perhaps listen perhaps if if you're really low perhaps you feel that way sometimes I don't have much of a reason to be here. People aren't going to miss me that much anyway. And if and when you have those thoughts, I'm begging you to reach out to someone. I'm begging you to reach out to a pastor. I'm begging you to go to the emergency room. I'm begging you to, 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 to know the number 988. That is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. They're just in the privacy of your own moment. Just 988 dial to receive the help you need. And as we read this very real account, you may be like me because I'm... I'm reading 1 Kings 17 and 1 Kings 18, and I am, I am on the edge of my seat. I am, Elijah is the man. There is no one like Elijah. I want to be like Elijah. To this, how? How did he get here? And you say, well, Pastor Tanner, the, the, the most powerful person in the kingdom wants to take him out. That's one reason I would say, yes, you're right. But that's not the only reason. And this is something that we learn here as we process what's happening with Elijah is that depression and, and despondency and despair that it is usually multifaceted. Elijah's circumstances were the worst. But that's not all that was going on here. You see, when we experience not just times of discouragement, but even when we experience what we might call spiritual highs. I mean, Elijah was seeing all of the prayers answered. He was seeing fire from heaven. And listen, when we are at a spiritual low or even at a spiritual high, we can be the most vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. Satan is real. And like Paul says in 1 I think it's First or Second Corinthians chapter 10. If you think you are standing firm, be on guard, be watchful. Temptation is knocking at our door. So Elijah's on the spiritual high. He's vulnerable to attack. But not only that, 
Our, our guy Elijah is physically and emotionally exhausted. He's, he's just run double, triple marathon probably in a day. He didn't stop moving. He is flat, worn out, not to mention all of the emotion of the, 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 the battle with the prophets of Baal and praying for rain and coming to the, to the, to the king and queen and, 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 and encountering them in that moment. And this is who we are as people. We are embodied souls. We are, we are not just physical beings and we are not just spiritual beings, but, but we are physical and spiritual. We have a body and a soul. And Elijah is, is faced with all of these realities that are attacking everything within him. But perhaps the, the greatest reason why Elijah is so low, so depressed, some scholars and pastors would say this, the reality of unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. When you are discouraged, when you are down, when, when you get really low in life, perhaps not always, but oftentimes it is going to be because of unmet expectations. And what's going on for Elijah? What was the unmet expectation? Well, he's just wiped out all of the prophets of Baal. And so I think his expectation going before King Ahab and Queen Jezebel is that God is going to overthrow their hearts and they are going to see, hey, Yahweh is God. There is one true God in Israel. It wasn't the prophets of Baal. He can do nothing for us. By the way, do you know who Baal is? Baal is the God of rain. It didn't rain for 42 months. What? And yet in their wickedness, their hearts were not overthrown in them. But maybe Elijah is saying, well, hey, if God doesn't overthrow their hearts and they turn back to, to Yahweh as the one true God, then maybe there will be an uprising, a coup d'etat, where the people of Israel will overthrow them. And that doesn't happen either. Instead, Elijah is a marked man. And he is running for his life. But when he is at his lowest, he encounters the compassion of God. Elijah finds a broom tree, which would have been kind of a glorified bush that was elevated enough for someone to lay under. Okay, so don't think like oak tree, huge tree, you know, uh, put your hammock out. Okay, Elijah was just laying on the ground saying, God, I'm ready to go. And as he prays, God, take me out. He falls asleep. And an angel taps him on the shoulder. says, Elijah, Elijah, get up. You need to, you know, you need a nap, Elijah. You need something to eat. And he gets up and he eats his meal. And then he goes back to sleep. That's how exhausted he is. And the, the, the text tells us in verse 7 that an angel comes a second time and says again, arise and eat. Why? For the journey is too great for you, Elijah. It's too great for you. And in this, we see the compassion of God. 
God doesn't come and chastise Elijah. You man full of faith, now you're full of fear. Did you forget about what we just, ha- we, we just did on Mount Carmel? I sent fire from heaven. I can take care of Jezebel. He doesn't lecture Elijah. He gives him something to eat. And sometimes, listen, sometimes, and we need to hear this as a church. I, I need to hear this and be reminded of this. Because, listen, Pastor Tanner, preacher Tanner who loves the Bible. And, listen, there, there were times in my younger days, even my younger ministry days, where, where I thought the solution was basically 90 to 95, maybe 99%. Pray a few times, read a few Psalms, get well. And of course, I'm not minimizing. I'm not minimizing that we are spiritual beings. I'm not minimizing that we need to look to God. I'm not minimizing the role of prayer here. Elijah is praying. But we are also physical beings. Listen, sometimes the the best thing that you can do for someone who is feeling low, who is depressed, is say, hey, I'm, I'm coming over. We're going for a walk. I'm picking you up and I'm bringing you back to my house and I am going to make you the best meal that I can possibly make. You see, God cares for our entire being. And he's calling us to do the same. Our physical, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual well-being. God sees it all and he cares for all of us. Our first and greatest need is to encounter the compassion of God. But then in verses 9 through 14, we see that we need to listen for God's whispers. Look at what it says here in Verse 9, there he came to a cave at the mount of God, and he lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, God says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he rapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. 
For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. As we look at what's happening here, we need to understand where Elijah is. Elijah is at Horeb, the mount of God, which is also synonymous. It's another name for, maybe you would recognize, Mount Sinai. The mountain of God where Moses and the people of God, as they're moving out of Egypt, meet with God there. And God speaks and gives them his commands, his laws, his instructions, the Ten Commandments. And God shows up as he speaks to Moses. How does he show up? He shows up in fire. And the ground is shaking and there is wind all around. And so as God comes to Elijah and he asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Listen, by the way, God is, is, is not uh, seeking information here, all right? God is very aware of what Elijah is doing there, okay? God has not lost his omniscience. In other words, God has all knowledge. He hasn't, like, lost his omniscience, but what God is doing is he's meeting him compassionately. He's saying, Elijah, let's talk. Elijah, you need to process what, what is happening in your own mind and in your own soul. And Elijah responds, and, and, and he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, for you, God. And what we find as we analyze Elijah's words is that we see there is truth in what he says and there is untruth in what he says. He begins and he says, I've been very jealous. And I think we just looked at 17 and 18 and we considered what, what Elijah did for the Lord his God. And there is no doubt Elijah was very, very jealous for his God. He says that your people have forsaken your covenant. In other words, they have turned their back on your wisdom. He says your people have thrown down your altars. In other words, they, they said we are done with the worship of the one true God. And on top of that, they have killed your prophets. They, they are, have sought to silence your voice coming through your prophets. And Elijah is saying, all of that ate at me in such a way that, that I was zealous to speak up for you, God, to contend on your behalf, to say that this is not right, but there is only one true God, and Yahweh is his name. Elijah was very, very jealous for God's name, and I can't read this and not ask myself, hey, how jealous am I for the glory of God? How zealous am I? How, how passionate am I living so that people will know who our God is and live for him accordingly? Elijah was very, very jealous. Yes, that was true. But then he goes on and he speaks some untruths because what does he say? He says, and I am the only one left. Have you, have you ever felt this way? When you're low, when you're at your lowest of lows, do you not, do you not say things like, I'm all alone. No one cares. No one understands my pain. And we isolate ourselves and we withdraw from the help of others. But 
even in these moments, we can see that Elijah was not speaking the whole truth because in chapter 18, verses 7 through 16, we find that there was a servant in the king's house who feared God and he had taken over a hundred of God's prophets and he hid them away in caves. And Elijah knew this. Obadiah and Elijah have this conversation. Elijah should know that he's not the only one left. And God responds by saying, look, I want you to step out and I want you to encounter my presence. And even though you're on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, uh, you probably think that I'm going to show up in the wind and you probably think that I'm going to show up in the earthquake and you probably think I'm going to show up in the fire, Elijah. I mean, because what do we do? This is what we do, right? God moved in this way last time. It must be how he's going to move this time. You've never done that? Is it just me? And we put God in our little boxes, right? God moves in this way. He doesn't move in that way. He only moves in these churches, not those churches. Uh Uh-oh. God doesn't show up in the wind or the fire or the earthquake. But he shows up in a whisper. The Hebrew can be translated a sound or a thin silence. This word is only used three times in the Old Testament. It can be translated a voice of gentle silence. We ask God, why would God whisper to Elijah? And sometimes we overthink the Bible. Like sometimes we overthink what's, what's happening here. When's the last time you whispered to someone? When's, when's the last time someone told you a secret? When someone whispers... You have to lean in. You have to lean in. God is saying, I want you close. I want you to be intimate with me. I want you to understand Elijah. He calls him by name. Elijah, I see you. Elijah, I keep coming after you. In your lowest of lows, Elijah, I am here. I'm here. God is still still whispering to us. He loves to speak with his children. He wants us to know his voice. And please believe this today, even if this is new information for you. It's like mind-blowing, and you even struggle to believe what I'm about to say. Listen, God wants to speak some things to you that are only for you. They're only for you. Doesn't mean that you can't talk about them with other people, but there are some things that God has spoken to me that no one has, not even Marsha. It's that intimate. 
have an opportunity to grow in hearing God's voice as his children. I want to give you just a simple framework for developing an ear to hear God's whispers. Super simple. There's the acronym, E-A-R, E-A-R. Expect, expect God to speak to you regularly. If, if you do not expect to hear God's voice, you're probably not going to hear it. Listen, we know, we're, we're a church that loves the Bible. We preach from it every week. We seek to build our lives on God's word. We read it. I read this book every day. I eat it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. These are God's words. And anything that God ever speaks to us personally as we're walking with him will never, ever, ever contradict these words. And yet, listen, God is our father. He loves us individually. Should we not expect that God would speak something personal to you in your moment of need or opportunity? Expect God to speak to you. Even as you're growing in Christ, expect him to speak to you regularly. And then we can also ask. Just ask God to speak. If you need a word from heaven, if you need direction, we do this, right, in our prayers. And then we, sometimes we don't even call God speaking to us when he's guided us and directed us and led us. We like, but he spoke to us as we ask him about specific things and situations in life. But then this is so critical to our, is to revere God, to commit, to live before our God with reverence. It's, it's a way of saying this, God, I am available and ready to obey whatever you say to me. This is how we grow in hearing God's voice, to hear God's whisper when he wants to speak to us, to, to just communicate how much he loves us, to communicate how he wants to move us forward, no matter what we're facing in life. We encounter God's compassion. We listen for God's whispers. And then finally, verses 15 through 18, we fulfill God's commissions. Look, look, look at what God does with Elijah. After Elijah repeats himself, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very jealous for you, God. Your people have forsaken you. They've turned in your altars. They've killed your prophets. I'm the only one left. God doesn't, I mean, God just speaks to him, and he gives him new direction and fresh assignment. He says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. By the way, God doesn't always give us easy assignments. He's going right back through the wilderness where he came from. He's going right back toward Ahab and Jezebel and where people are ready to hunt him down. But God gives us his presence even as he doesn't always give us easy assignments. And God says, when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Molah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And now look at this. God is building confidence in Elijah. He says, and the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. You're not alone. 
all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. When we're struggling, when we're low, we need to understand and hear God is a God of compassion. He wants to meet us right where we are. He is Jehovah Shema, the God who is there. And he not only wants to meet us in his compassion, but he wants to compassionately whisper to us and strengthen us with his word and encourage our soul and to remind us of who he is. And he wants to strengthen us in a way that he is going to send us out again. He had an assignment for Elijah. He is effectively saying, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. And my friends, listen, God is not done with you either. God has a plan. You may be low. In fact, you may be very, very low this morning. And yet I can promise you that God's eye is on you. He loves you and he is not done with you yet. And we see this come to life. The compassion of God. Like nowhere else, like no one else than in the person of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21, Jesus has just healed a man with a withered hand, and he heals many others, and then he tells them to not go running their mouth about his healing. And Matthew comments on how this is a fulfillment of prophecy when it says this in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant, Jesus, whom I have chosen. My beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And then look at this. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. When we are low, we feel like that bruised reed. Bruised reeds were essentially worthless. They were tossed aside in favor of something better. But the, but the Bible says that Jesus will not break a bruised reed, but he will care for it. He will nurture it. He will restore it to health. And this is what God wants to do for every single one of us. And how does he do it? How is it that Jesus will not break a bruised reed? It's because Jesus loved us so much that he would be broken for us on the cross that we might be healed. If you remember the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, it's captured in Matthew chapter 26. 
says this, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he what? He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. I will be broken for you so that you can be made healed, be made whole. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're going to remember the death of Jesus on our behalf, his broken body on the cross. And so if you, if you missed these, these elements when you walked in, our connections team is ready to distribute them to you. Just, just raise your hand uh, really high so that they don't miss you here this morning. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've made the decision to follow him like his disciples that he shared this meal with, and this, this moment is for you. If you've yet to follow Jesus, we would encourage you most of all, receive Christ today. Decide that you want to follow Jesus, that you want to make him the ultimate priority of your life so that you can follow him all the days of your life. So as we remember the cross of Christ and his compassion on the clearest display, we remember these words we just read. When Jesus took the bread and he broke it, And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which represents my blood, that will be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. And so Jesus, today we remember your shed blood on our behalf as you died on the cross that we might have life. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you are a God who sees You're a God who pursues us. You're a God who is there and who loves us and meets us in your compassion. And so, Father, we celebrate today that even when we are at our lowest, you are still good, you are still God, you are still pouring out your love and compassion over us. And God, it's it's our prayer today that those who are low today might receive a touch from heaven, might experience healing here today, might just be encouraged by these words to keep taking the next step and the next step, that you would grow us as a caring community who comes alongside and around one another to support each other in our times of need. So God, we look to you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, our prayer team is going to come forward and we're going to respond to God about God's ability to do more than we ask or imagine. And so I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, if you've never followed Jesus and you say, I I want to follow this kind of God, this, this, this God who sent his son into the world to be 
the sacrifice for my sin to die in my place, then I want to encourage you to, to not just make that decision alone, but to share that with one of these prayer team members so they can pray for you as you begin your new journey. All you have to do is just come forward and say, I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to follow Jesus. I want to receive the gift of life that he offers me through his life, death, and resurrection. I commit to follow him all the days of my life. But then there may be others of you. There may be some here today that are low and just want to say, God, I need some, someone to pray over me, God's strength. The journey is too great for me. I can't do it alone. I need help. I need prayer. Maybe there is someone you know who is battling depression and you just want to intercede on their behalf. This, this team is ready to pray for them as well. Maybe there's some other need on your heart. Come forward as we respond to God and sing. Let's stand and let's worship our great God.